Hey, uh, we are going to be continuing in our series this morning, so if you have your Bibles with you, that's great. If you don't, we're going to be following along on the screen this morning. We have been in a series that uh, I've been, man, this series has really just kind of transformed and changed a lot of my perspective um, in, in terms of the early church. I think it's, it's really helpful for us as a church in modern day to reflect and look back on, man, when, when the church was in its purest form. When the witnesses, the actual witnesses of those who saw Jesus resurrected acted or functioned in a way, man, what did that church look like? So we've been in this series called Contrast, where we're looking at this group of people that followed after Jesus, that chased after his ideals, his ethics, the way that he saw life, and how that contrasted with the religious culture during that day and with the Roman culture that just ran rampant. Uh, during this time. So we've been hanging out in this series in the book of Acts, and uh, this morning I've titled uh, the message, specifically we're in part nine of this series, and I titled it Monopolizing Jerusalem, Monopolizing Jerusalem. Now, uh, I know earlier we asked kind of what your favorite holiday treat was during our greeting time, but I I get really excited uh, during the holiday season because I know it always uh, brings our family together where we get to play a lot of just, there's a lot of downtime during the holidays, you know, and we always love, I always look forward to this as a family, we get to play a lot of board games with each other. Anybody, any board game fans? Yeah, okay, good, a handful of us. Uh, I'm really into this game called Settlers of Catan. Any Settlers of Catan fans? No, okay, you need to get this game, it's amazing. The unfortunate thing about it, it's an intense game, and it, it carries a lot of politics with it in terms of how you can play the game. So, you know, it always ends up in like almost like a fist fight. You know, families aren't perfect, and, you know, it gets really intense. I'm an intense player. My wife's like, don't play with TD, or you'll get really offended. Uh, he acts like a different person, right? And it's like, yeah, it's a game. Of course, I'm playing the game. You know what I mean? This isn't real life, uh, but they are real feelings, so, yeah, I'm... God's restoring me. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a work in progress, obviously. Uh, anyway, I just get really excited. And when we talk about board games, you can't help but think of Monopoly, right? Uh, the game that no one's ever finished in the history of the world. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, who actually finishes this game? Uh, anyway, but the whole idea of Monopoly, right, is you want to be the one who's dominant on the board. Like, you want to get to a point where, like, you have monopolized all the real estate. That no matter what, when somebody rolls a dice, they're going to have to pay you money, right? But that takes so long. And it's like, does anybody ever actually do that? You know what I'm saying? But but this morning, I want to talk about this. I titled the message Monopolizing Jerusalem because there's this whole idea in the book of Acts. We're talking about an occupied territory. We're talking about a city where the temple of God resided. We're talking about a place where religious leaders who were merged with some of this Roman culture, these were people that began to use and abuse the religious status that they had and began to oppress the outside culture. But I love it because we're seeing the church of Jesus begin to rise. We're seeing the heart of God manifest in human form. We see Jesus dying for our sins up on the cross, resurrecting and and leading a movement where he's inviting people into this good news that Jesus has come to save. Jesus has come to give us a new hope. And it's interesting because this new business, this new business of God's grace and goodness begins to monopolize a previously inhabited religious culture. It's very interesting when we look at this. And from a business perspective this morning, when you monopolize, you want to be the only option. You want to be the only choice in town. You want to eat up the other areas of the market so that you become the only choice. We see that all over. We see this past week, what did we see? We saw Disney buy 21st Century Fox. 
We see this all over with some of these big companies that begin to, to merge with other companies where they monopolize the market and they become a bigger entity. But we're seeing this. It's interesting. From a strategic standpoint, we're seeing the church of Jesus begin to monopolize. But this morning, I want to ask that question. How did this happen, right? And I think this morning, as we look in the scripture, we're going to see a few kind of key highlights of how this came about. In the, the, in the, in the book of Acts, the, the church of Jesus was invading this territory, and their, and their strategy just looked completely different than what people were used to. These were a group of people that were extremely generous. During this time, the religious leaders and the, and the people that were the Roman up-and-ups, they were, it was a little top-heavy, right? We talked about economics a few weeks ago and how economics matter to God, how we steward our resources. The Bible gives us a theology of how we're supposed to use and steward our money. And we realize that the, that the early church was above and beyond generous, caring for one another's needs, kind of what we dipped into during our offering time, just carrying the weight of one another, being a tight-knit family that when, when push comes to shove, we are there for one another because we care. But there's this whole idea where others are being invited into this process. There's a selflessness. There's a selflessness that was beyond belief that people weren't used to during this time. It became less about me and my experience, and it became about how do I serve other people. That word ministry just simply means to serve. Sometimes that's a word we don't understand. Ministry is simply just serving the needs of other people. And the early church of Jesus did this so well because they saw Jesus do that up on the cross, serving and being the savior of the world. And then lastly, we see a community that was different. It was unlike anything else. There was a group of people that were united under the same mission of Jesus. And they carried this community that looked different than the religious communities that people were used to. Jesus broke down the barrier and he created a new way to live, and it was contrasted with the way that people previously thought about living a life with God under the old temple rites and rituals. Sacrifice, yearly sacrifice, animal sacrifice represented a way to get right with God. That the animal sacrifice became the mediator through the priest that you could keep relationship with God through this community. But Jesus did away with those things and created a new way, and people were getting excited about what God was doing this new thing. So we're going to look at this point in the book of Acts, pick up from where we left off this week, but something so unique and specific going on in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. So let's, let's look at this this morning up on the screen. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are in the business of monopolizing. And Lord, I don't mean that in a negative way, but Lord, you wanted to monopolize the goodness of God. Lord, those who are being placed on the fringes because of different oppressive monopoly, Lord, you wanted to flip the script. So, Lord Jesus, help us understand how we can monopolize that goodness in our own lives. Lord, would we be your church and would we understand that the goodness of God is something each and every one of our hearts desires, whether we know it or not. So, Lord, would you be so present among us. Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak to each and every heart. Lord, I'm thankful that you're alive and active in this room right now, Lord, and that you have little something for each and every one of us to digest today. So, Lord, would we have ears to hear those things this morning? Lord, would we understand in our own lives, would we connect the dots in how we can be 
more of the church that you desire, Lord. We just want to get closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So we're going to look at, as we break this down this morning, church, we're going to look at kind of the church's contrasting strategy. This contrasting monopoly of the marketplace of Jerusalem when it came to people and their relationship with God. So the first thing we're going to look at is there was a contrast of proximity. We just read this verse, but let's, let's look at it again. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. I love this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the temple, when we think of the temple and the way that it functioned and, the, and kind of just like the structure of the temple in Jerusalem, some of us just think of like there was a, just a large temple and kind of that was it, right? But the temple, it had different layers. It had different, uh, uh, different courts, different areas where people would gather, right? It wasn't just one temple. It was like a temple with all multiple different courts. And certain people were allowed to be in certain courts as they got closer and closer to what represented God's presence at the center of the temple. And I think about, um, I, I, I lived in California for 10 years, and I was uh, always used to taking trips, even growing up, growing up in the Seattle area, we would always take trips to visit my great-grandma down in Santa Monica, California, and it became a family tradition that we would always visit Disneyland. So I grew up going to Disneyland and loving Disney and all these things, like these are just like childhood memories, like anything Disney's like always like super nostalgic for me, like I'm forcing Luca to always watch Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, on Christmas, um, I, I believe that's the best version, uh, hate me if you want to. Uh, anyway. Uh, I just, I, I'm a big Disney guy. So anyway, in 2003, I'll never forget it. My parents were like, hey, let's, let's up the game. We're going to go to Disney World. I've never been to Disney World. Anybody ever been to Disney World in here? Yeah. Well, the, the difference in Disney World and Disneyland is kind of a big one, right? Because when you go to Disneyland, it's like you park, you go. Here's the front of the, the park. It's like magical. You give your ticket. You walk in. If you go to Disney World for the first time, it's, it's completely different. In fact, it has its own zip code. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're driving on the freeway, and all of a sudden, rather than, like, a sign to enter the park, it's like an overpass freeway. Like, okay, here's the exit. Like, Disney exit signs. You know what I'm saying? Like, take a left and go to this park and that park. I was just like, are we on a Disney freeway right now? You know what I mean? It's like, where are we right now? This is massive. From what I was used to, this confined area of a park, you go to Disney World, and it's completely different. It's massive. There's exits. There's streets. You have to park in this massive amount of territory that they acquired in the swamps of uh, Florida, right? The Orlando area. And it's kind of like it reminds me of the temple, right? It's not just like one confined area. The temple represented all the different courts in the areas. And I love it because although the Bible shows us that the early believers of Jesus, they would still go into the temple courts to worship God. They would allow God to keep his rightful place in terms of praise. But I love it because when they began to minister to the people, they did it outside of those four walls. There was a different proximity. These people began to make room for others to experience God. They would hang out in this area called Solomon's Colonnade, which was a covered area where it would keep people from the shade. And they would preach and they would tell people about the goodness of what God was up to and what he was doing. And more crowds would gather together. People that were unfamiliar with God. People that were unfamiliar with what a relationship or a connection with God would look like. And they would minister to the people. And people would experience God in a whole new way. But I love it because they ministered in a place in an area that wasn't inside the temple, that wasn't inside the four walls. But we see the early church ministering outside of the temple, becoming a bridge for those who are outside, who are never allowed to be inside, creating a bridge for more people to gather, creating space for people to come hear news of the goodness of God. 
There was a strategy monopoly happening. They were strategic in making room for others to fulfill God's mission. Consider for a second the reaction of a, maybe a mom and pop convenience store. And sits across the street from another mom and pop convenience store. And the one across the street begins to multiply. Begins to have multiple locations. Begins to grow. Begins to almost monopolize. If you were the mom and pop store across the street, you would say, what, what are they doing? And you feel threatened by the fact that you feel like this is my territory. This is exactly what was happening in Jerusalem, right? We have the temple. We have these religious leaders carrying all of these religious rights. And this new wave of what God was doing began to monopolize the area. People began to gather in huge droves and crowds of what God was saying. And for the religious leaders and the people that were in power that were used to maybe carrying all the weight and oppressing and reaching down across the culture during that time, and allowing the fringe people to stay the fringe people, this was a new massive thing because it was allowing people to experience God in a new way. The people who were on the fringe now became those who were welcomed into the club in a relationship with God of what Jesus, based on what Jesus had done. And here's the thing is, in terms of the church, you might be a mom and pop business that doesn't have plans to expand or to multiply but you have to expand something to survive. I think mom and pop businesses are great because when you hang out or you are served in a business perspective from a mom and pop business, there's always something that kind of keeps you there, right? And typically it has to do something with people or customer service. Man, I don't get the personal touch like I used to uh, or at a, at a bigger business, right? There's, there's always an incentive to expand something, but there's a strategy involved or else we see those big businesses begin to swallow up the smaller I love it. There has to be some sort of an expansion strategy, no matter how you slice it. And this is what the early church was doing. They were ministering in such a way that they were making room for those who were on the outside to come hear about the goodness of God. They were being a bridge to those during the society where they would walk by this area of the temple gates and the courts, and they would hear and see what God was doing through the disciples. In order to monopolize, you've got to have expansion on your mind. And Jesus, in his mind, he had expansion. He knew as one man, he couldn't do it all, so he empowered his church to do it. He thought, man, I'm going to allow the vessels of God through my spirit to be the ones who spread the goodness of God throughout the world. And we see this begin to monopolize and manifest in Jerusalem at the helm of the religious center during this time and place. So i got to ask ourselves this morning, because I'm excited about this. As a church, how are we ministering in Solomon's Colonnade? How are we doing that? What does is, what is our proximity look like? And this is where I've I just been getting a, a, really excited, you guys. Getting excited about the future because I know that God has called us to be on mission. So when I'm reading this and I'm seeing this and I'm, and I'm understanding kind of where we're going as a church and the future that God has, I can't help but get excited about what are we doing? Like, what's, how are we allowing the proximity of God's message to be spread? This is why, like, I just get, I'm really excited, you guys, about even showing up on a Sunday to serve people. How many of you guys know that, like, when you have to move, like, from a location or move houses or move anything, anything that involves moving boxes, it's just a horrible thing, right? And here's what I know. Like, the first time somebody comes to church, it's always the hardest time. If it was your first time this morning, my hope is that you were greeted really well and warmly when you walked into the, or you, when you drove in, right? 
my hope is that you were, somebody shook your hand. My hope, if it was your first time this morning, that there, there was people there to serve and help you. Because we're trying to create a net, you guys. Are we seeing this? Because I, here's what I know. The move-in process to a church, to know a church family, to be a part of a church family, that's tough. And here's one of the values that God's just been bringing up more and more again. We want to make sure that move-in process is really easy. I think of this word adoption, right? The adoption process in our nation. That's a very difficult process. But how many of you guys know that God has a desire for each and every person on this earth to be adopted into his family? So one of the things that we're always talking about is how do we make the adoption process so seamless and easy? You know that we are actually serving in Solomon's colonnade, the equivalent, when we're outside and we're waving at people and we're welcoming people. When we're on social media and we're taking advantage of the technology of the day and we're saying, come see what God is doing. Because here's the deal. People make up their minds whether they're going to stay or not before they even hear the message, the goodness of God through his gospel. When people walk into church, they make a decision whether they're going to come back or not, Stats show, in the first 15 minutes. You know what that means? The way we minister in Solomon's Colonnade matters so much. The way that we minister and allow others to be feel hospitable as they're moving in. I'm so excited, you guys, about our small groups right now. The ways that we're spreading ourselves throughout the city. Understanding that there's not going to be a chance sometimes where people are just going to look us up on the, online and come to our church. But this whole idea that let's create pockets of friendships throughout our community. Let's have some people serving our community. I'm so encouraged by the ways that our small groups have been serving our community. I'm so encouraged by the ways that people are getting together in small groups and learning from the scriptures with each other. I'm so encouraged how we have small groups that are just based on fun activities, things we're going to do to have fun. But how many of you guys know that, it, once again, we have to make room for others, and sometimes a church building becomes really intimidating for people who aren't or don't come from a religious background. We have to minister in Solomon's Colonnade because we have to begin to make room for others, right? And this is also why I'm so excited about some of our current events, some of the big things that we're planning. Uh, I think I'm thinking about our women's conference that's coming up at the beginning of the year. Callie's been just working so hard and making sure these things happen. I think about that and making room for others. I think about our city. I pray for our city, and I realize that we have a lot of women that are just, man, carrying a lot of weight. And we thought, we want to do something that refreshes the women in our city. Those who maybe are carrying the weight of being a single mom. Those that maybe need a break. Those that just maybe have been carrying the weight of leading this, their, their household spiritually. And we just see that, and we're like, man, how do we, how do we allow, how do we leverage the, 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 maybe some of the, the problems or the issues that we see in our community, and how do we allow it to be an opportunity to bless people, make room for people, allow it to be a word of mouth. And man, God impacted me at this conference. God refreshed my soul. God transformed me and changed me. How are we ministering in Solomon's colonnade as a church? And I'm, I'm so encouraged because I'm seeing ways that we are, and ways that we're going to continue to expand that, the proximity of where we are, because our faith cannot be exclusive to within the four walls of the church, because we see the early church allowing that strategy and that contrast of proximity to expand God's message beyond the capacity of the church, right? We exist to be a church, and be the church, not a building, amen? Next, we see a contrast of priorities. Let's keep going, you guys. There's a contrast of priorities we can, we can kind of see here going on in the early church. Acts chapter 5, it says, No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Wow. 
Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. we got to catch something here. People are being added, but there's people that don't want to dare join them. So both are happening. So obviously we have a contrast of groups, right? We have the people that are being affected by the church, people that are experiencing the goodness of God, and those that are saying, well, this is nice that this is going on over there. We highly regard this, but we're not going to jump in. We see a massive contrast. We see a contrast of priorities. Here's what I know. Each and every one of us has the same time, right? All of us have 24 hours in one day. All of us have seven days in a week. And many times throughout the biblical narrative, we see God calling us to be good stewards of the ways that we use our time. What are we prioritizing? How are we spending our days? Where are we spending our time? I love it because the early church was disrupting the status quo. They were being those who were rogue outside of the temple. But still being a part of the temple, understanding that this was, this was a place where God's presence was represented. And they would worship God within this place, but they were doing something new. They were doing what Jesus had told them to do, to go, to make disciples, to go beyond the comforts that they were used to. And we begin to see the status quo being disrupted. The apostles were committed to the mission and not the methods. I think we can get so confused Sometimes in church where we get so obsessed with the methods over the mission. What I mean by that is that each and every day we make a decision in church, we're making a decision based on some sort of preference typically. You know, why do we, we sing those worship songs and not the others? Why do we do, these are all methods, right? And methods change. And sometimes we can get so easily caught up and, and obsessed with the methods that we miss out on the mission. Because here's what I know, the mission has never changed. The fact that Jesus wants to multiply his presence over this earth through his church, allow the goodness of God to be multiplied and for people to hear the good news and to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And in the meantime, on this side of heaven, knowing that the earth can be transformed because of his power and his presence and his mission. That has never changed since the words of Jesus gave that mission. But along the, along the way, we, we have different methods of how we want to execute that. And what will happen is when we become obsessed with the methods and begin to prioritize those things over the mission, we get more and more distant from what God's heart is. We are a church that's going to be all about the mission. Methods will come and go, and we will use the methods as a strategic way to reach people. That's the amazing thing about it. Methods are good, but methods change. The mission of God never changes because it represents God's heart. And this is what the apostles were so committed to. They were a people that prioritized the mission. They began to act in a way that said, how do we monopolize the goodness of God in terms of where we are? And how do we monopolize that in the way that we spend our time? Here's what's interesting. Jesus drew crowds when he ministered. But he established this following without the Jerusalem authorities worrying about him. We see him many times ministering around the surrounding areas. And this was happening in Jerusalem. Jesus had followers that many times acted or followed him in the surrounding areas. But what the apostles was doing was something different. There was, this was in your face. This was no one dared to join because they knew their sociopolitical reputation was on the line. They knew what was at stake if they joined this group of people or not. They knew that there was oppression ahead. They knew there was persecution. In fact, where we're going to be going in this series is this is where the persecution begins to happen for the church. We begin to see this begin to unravel. So this is the precursor, and people were coming to terms with, I see that these are highly reputable people, 
but I don't know necessarily if I'm going to join the club or not. I see this making a difference in the community. I'm benefited by the goodness of God being spread by these people, but the big contrast was whether they wanted to actually jump in and help or not. Isn't this interesting about the ways that we prioritize? It's like a worker monopoly happening. Consider the reaction of a local construction company who began to lose business to a harder working, more put together construction company that was on the rise. Whew. Right? You begin to lose business because you realize that there's people that have begun to prioritize parts of their business and leveraging in a way where they're able to reach and impact more people. Isn't this interesting, though? Because this has begun to happen in some of our churches, right? We begin to see fruit happen in other churches. I've talked about this before, and we begin to point the finger at, at, in different ways of how what they're doing isn't right. When really we should be joining in with the purposes and the plans of God's mission and celebrating different things. We have gotten, we have gotten into a place where we are celebrating a lot of the wrong things in the church today. We need to be celebrating when other people are coming to know the Lord, being baptized at other churches. Those people aren't the enemy. Actually, those are the same people in the kingdom market. And rather than being in disunity like our culture is all over the place, playing into that narrative, why would we not model something for people on this earth by figuring out the ways we can build bridges at other churches and saying, we're on board with the mission as well. We know the methods look different. Come on, somebody. We know the doctrinal differences and the methods look different. But we also know we're committed to the same mission. So let's partner together and let's figure out how we can be on the same team to, 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 to minister to people. This is what I'm encouraged by in the modern church of today. We're beginning to see that happen. We're beginning to see the denominational hard lines break in terms of us understanding who we are, but not allowing that to be a barrier to partner with others and to understand that we're all on the same team to accomplish and minister and see the mission of God. But the beauty of it is we have a way that we uniquely express that as a church. And like I said, I'm excited about the beginning of the year because we're going to be talking about that. How are we unique? Who are we on our best day? Because who we are on our best day looks different than other churches. And that's nothing to be insecure about because when we get secure in who we are, we are going to minister in the best way that God has called us to. And it's on board with his mission. But how are we prioritizing these things? Because in order to monopolize, you've got to have clear priorities in order. So as a church... How are we highly regarded because of the mission? How are we? Are we high? These people were highly regarded. So how are we being highly regarded? And once again, this is where I'm, I've just been getting excited. Where does our time go? You know, like, how are we ministering? When it comes to maybe our, our ministry teams on Sunday morning, man, I'm seeing so many people begin to step up. I'm seeing us launch new teams, right? The parking lot team. We're starting to, Kali's starting the connect table. And that's kind of a new visitor's area where we just make sure when people arrive, it's like, hey, if you have any questions, you need anything, we're here to help you. We're making room for people to experience the goodness of God. But that takes a priority of saying, I'm going to give my time to serve the mission. We are a church that is about the mission of God, you guys. That's, that's why it's important. That's why it matters. Yes, of course, the byproduct of being a part of a family and a community is you receive and get ministered to yourselves. But we are never going to be a church that just stops there. We want to be a church that allows that ministry to multiply, right? We want to serve the needs of others. We want us to experience what it means to moving into a new community, a new family. But beyond that, you got to start growing up a little bit. As a person within a family, you got to start, come on, get, uh, carrying your weight a little bit in the household, right? And one of the ways that we do that is we just decide... For, for many of us is on Sundays, we're going to show up a little bit early and we're going to serve the needs of those who maybe aren't connected with this family yet. And I love it. 
And, and there might be some of you in the room, it's like, man, I've, I've benefited from maybe like dropping my kids off and being served. And maybe you're in a season right now where you understand that doesn't just happen, right? The reason why our kids get served so well or the way that we are creating a net for our kids to get served even better is from a growing team of people who have prioritized saying, I'm going to give my time and I'm going to serve. I'm going to minister. I'm going to just simply serve, right? And I just want to challenge us this morning. Maybe there's some of us in the room who've been like, well, I, I haven't found a way to serve. Man, get on mission because we're trying to create a net here to catch people. And we're trying to create a net of volunteers and people that are saying, hey, we have a heart to serve our community. But without a net being put out for people to catch, people can so easily slip through the cracks. And here's what I would ask. If you're a person maybe that doesn't serve yet, I'm excited about this because all it takes is one Sunday, right? Saying, okay, one Sunday out of the month, I'm going to commit to maybe helping kids. I'm going to help the coffee bar. Or, man, I'm going to help out in the parking lot. I'm going to help in whatever area. Go to our website under serve. You can pick a drop-down menu, and they have it there. We'll be notified. We will get you on a team as quickly as possible because we're realizing there's 10,000 people in this city that don't know the Lord yet. That, that's the people we're trying to come after. Along with other churches, we're, our, our heart and our desire is to make that number grow smaller and smaller because we know, we understand, when more people get on mission with God, that's when we see a community revitalized for good. Come on, somebody. I'm so excited because the priorities, I'm seeing even our small groups, right? I, I talk a lot about our small groups, but, man, making a priority to make new friends. I love that. We need pockets of people that are saying, I'm making it a priority to hive out of my schedule some time to not just have the same old friends, but to make new friends. You know, people know whether they're your friend or not, right? I think, I think we've gotten good at making a lot of acquaintances, and we create friend groups that we're comfortable with. But God's calling us beyond that, you guys. God's calling us to be actual befriend people, maybe that think differently than you, that maybe you have influence with in your life where it's like, hey, let's do this journey together. And I love seeing our, what our small groups are doing because they're creating pockets within our communities to build on good relationships with one another. There's nothing like serving with somebody and growing close with somebody. There's nothing like getting in the word of God with somebody and growing close with them. There's nothing like having somebody over and just doing something fun and growing in relationship with one another. That was one of Callie and I's big goals with our small group that we led this past trimester with families. It was like, we just want to get to know people deeper. We, we want to grow deeper in friendship. As the pastors who showed up 18 months ago, we don't just have deep relationships with everybody overnight. So we're like, hey, we want to be strategic about this. We're starting to get in rhythm. But we understand, man, ministry flows through deep friendships and trust in the way that, once again, we carry one another's burdens. And, and I'm just excited because also, what are the ways that, 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 that we're prioritizing the other areas, the events? And I mentioned our women's conference. I want to call out the men uh, in the room today. How are we stepping up, you guys? How are we seeing the women's conference and understanding that maybe we're saying, hey, how can I as a man serve the needs of the women? You know, how many of us have maybe contacted Callie and said, hey, I want to make sure that, that there's, there's the least amount of women actually serving this conference and running it. But we as men step up and understand that this is a time for our women to be refreshed, right? How are we highly regarded in that way? And I'm not saying, like, everybody email, all the guys email Callie. But I'm just saying, like, where is the attitude of our heart of where we're prioritizing? We're seeing needs and we're going, I want to insert my time into that schedule because I know that we're on mission with the way that God is seeing and how he wants to minister, right? There's a contrast that we're seeing. And then lastly, in the scripture here, there's a contrast of passion. 
There's definitely a contrast of passion that we're seeing. Let's look at this last section. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that the, at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. You know what happens when you begin to monopolize the goodness of God? Not only Jerusalem gets impacted, you start seeing the surrounding communities I, I think what a beautiful visual for us. Yes, Ponca City exists, but we have a lot of surrounding communities, right? Where, man, these are people that outside of the census, outside of the 10,000 who don't identify religiously, there's a bigger market that we can impact for the goodness of God. And we see this beginning to manifest in the early church in the early days. This is where they were building momentum. This was a handful of people, and now we're starting to see hundreds. We're starting to see thousands because there's a massive contrast happening. And we see this passion, this contrast of passion. God was up to something new, and people were pumped about it. People were excited. You could sense if somebody was passionate or not. You could sense that. The church was allowing the goodness of God to expand. And, and, and the vehicle in this section of Scripture was healing. And I think it's worth kind of talking about miraculous healing for a second. Because healing, when we think about it in our, in our kind of Western, more de- democratic minds, we think, well, you know, the same thing that happened to this person should probably happen to me. But how many of you guys know that that's just not how God functions in his sovereignty, right? Some people experience miraculous things different than others, but we've been called to swing the bat always. I just believe in that, right? You don't hit a home run if you never swing. So we've been called to be people that understand that, that God's heart is for people to be miraculously healed, to experience miracles in their lives. So we're going to pray and contend for that, but we're also going to rest in God's sovereignty and his plan. There's a theology of suffering we see in the scriptures as well, where God allows certain things to happen so that it would manifest for his glory to help somebody out in the right time. But here's what I know, God still heals. And during this time, we're seeing miraculous healing begin to take place in a way where people were like, the goodness of God is manifesting through physical healing. And it represents something spiritual, but there's something also very attractive about the fact that like God's mending people back together. There's something powerful we're seeing happen, and it's, it's this mystery, right, of this overlap of the age, that we live still in a world that's marred by sin, but as, as people that are connected with Jesus, we also understand that we, we live in the reality of Jesus being the bridge between heaven and earth, so we can call upon Jesus. He gives us these tools. He equips us with the authority to pray for somebody with a godly authority, to pray for somebody where you, you labor in prayer, you fast for somebody that's going through a hard time, and then on the other side of it, you praise God when you see God come through in a really big and miraculous way, right? And we begin to share those stories with one another, and faith begins to rise. I love just telling stories about God's goodness. I love the fact that I'm a believer in Jesus, not because it's the religious obligation thing to do, but because in my relationship with Jesus, I've seen God heal area of my life areas of my life that I never thought were possible to be healed, right? I've seen God do a miracle in my own personal life. But it's just, there's something mysterious about that and how everyone's journey, God knows us enough to heal and and manifest in his sovereignty, particularly to each and every person. And at this point in time, we're seeing the goodness of God manifest in physical healing in a powerful way. And we see that, you hear stories of that for people who are on the mission field in other countries. And there's, you know, you can bounce around as many ideas as you want about why we don't see that as often in our country. I have ideas about that. But once again, you can go down such a rabbit trail of obsessing about those things. You just forget that we've been called to go. 
We've been called to minister. We've been called to faith, be faithful and to pray and to believe and build faith in a way where we understand that God is great in his goodness and that goodness is a desire of his to spread. There's a hospital-type monopoly happening here, right, where people are being served physically and spiritually. Consider the reaction of the mainstream medical profession on the rise, to the rise in our day of alternative therapies. And imagine how a great modern hospital would react if a clinic offering a quite different style of treatment opened up right outside of the door. This is what was happening, right? We live in a day where we get kind of freaked out by some of these alternate therapies. And what we have right here is a bunch of people that are getting together and offering a therapy, seeing the goodness of God begin to heal people physically and spiritually. And it began to just cause a ruckus right on the doorstep of Jerusalem and the temple and the centerpiece of religious culture during this time. I was reading in a commentary this week, and rather than trying to express it in my own words, I figured I'd just read the quote, uh, the great scholar N.T. Wright. He wrote this. I love this. He said, the fact of so many people coming to Jerusalem and being cured was not a, simply a matter of a sudden burst of healing energy. It was about, and everyone there knew it was about, the establishment of a new reality in a dangerous place. The power of the living God becoming concrete, definite, undeniable, not simply a matter of a few people telling a very strange story and behaving from time to time as if they were drunk. It is when the church, through prayer and wisdom, and often in a teeth in the teeth of opposition, acts with decisive power in the real world to build and run a successful school or medical clinic, to free slaves or remit debts, to establish a housing project for those who can't afford local rents, or a credit union for those ashamed to go into a bank, to enable drug users and pushers to kick the habit and the lifestyle, to see hardened and violent criminals transformed by God's love, that people will take the message of Jesus seriously. Of course, there will then be opposition because we shall be invading territory that is currently under alternative occupation. But God's will, God's power will be at work, and people will know it. We're in the business where we're invading some territory. The enemy of our souls wants nothing more than things to say the same for the status quo of spirituality in our city and in our, what I would call our Jerusalem, to stay the same, right? But that's what we're doing. We're moving forward. And when we move forward, there's opposition. You better believe it. Man, these past few weeks, I'm just amazed by the heartbreak with some of the people in our church experiencing physical things. Man, it's like past three weeks, we come in here on Monday mornings to pray, and it's like, what's the theme of the week? Where are the needs at? And they've just consistently been physical needs. People trying to survive. We've lost some people. We've also seen the miraculous happen in God's intervention. Once again, the same thing we're seeing in the scriptures. Some, some of these apostles survive and move on. Others are, 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 are killed for their faith. Once again, not every same story. But here's what we do know is that we're, we're called to push forward. Even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering, we're called to not give up. Because that's nothing more than the devil. Satan himself would want to happen. But we know that we are victorious in Jesus' now, name. Amen? So as a church, how is the goodness of God being poured out? What do we look like because Jesus intercepted our lives? This is a big one, right? Because here's the deal. You can be a person who's like, all right, I'm going to get on board with what the church is doing or whatever. I'm going to serve. And then you can show up and you can be really unpassionate. You can be a bump on the log. You could be a person out in the parking lot who's like, good morning. 
right? You know why passion was such a big part of this? It's because we need people that are passionate about what they actually are doing. We need to understand why what we're doing matters. We need to understand that it can't all be on the pastor's plate, but when we all get it together as the body of Christ, some people functioning as the inside organs, working behind the scenes, some maybe that are working in more upfront ministries that are the skin, but we all function in a way that we need each other. And, And sometimes in church we can get so lopsided, but we need that passion. We need to be people that when we serve, we do it with all that we have. Like, like, like Paul reminds us in, in Colossians, right? We do it with everything that we have. Man, how, how are we being passionate in how we are making friends? Maybe you're a person that's attended a small group or maybe you have it next. And, and we got a lot of exciting new small groups being launched next trimester that we're so excited about in the, in the, in the coming year. But man, like how are we being passionate about understanding it's an opportunity to make friends, to meet new people? to have new relationship, to make room for others in our own lives. We get so satisfied, well, this is my friend group, I'm going to lock into it, that, that sometimes that creates a wall for anybody else to join in with what we know and what we've experienced. Man, here's what I know. We, we've got a story to tell, each and every one of us. Are we passionate about the way that God's changed us? And maybe we've become callous or we've forgotten. Maybe we've forgotten. Why do we even wake up on Sunday mornings and attend church, you know? Why are we doing this thing? And here's what I just sensed this morning. I feel like God's going to just pour fuel on maybe the, a flame that's begun to dim in our lives. And, and I want that passion to begin to rise up again. Because, man, I'm passionate about God's mission. I'm passionate about that number of 10,000 shrinking down, 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 simply because Jesus has the capacity to use us to be able to accomplish his mission. Wow. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of a higher calling than any vocation. We get to be a part of God's mission for the world. In order to monopolize, you got to have passion unlike anyone else. And that passion becomes so attractive. We need to be a people that emphasize the good news, not the bad. It's easy to call out the bad news. It's easy to look upon people and think about the bad. It's easy. That's, That's our flesh, right? The Bible calls our flesh, but... When we, we start to serve Jesus, he gives us a new capacity, right? One where we begin to let those things go. We begin to see the calling, the things that maybe we don't see sometimes in ourselves. I think about the people, the mentors, the, the great men of God I was able to have a relationship before this season of my life who spoke or pulled things out of me I never saw in myself. Man, are we doing that for other people? Here's, here's what I'll say about the bad news. I, it, Christians, we've... Unfortunately, the church and Christians, we've fallen prey to this whole, like, scream louder and say whatever ill-informed opinion that I want. And it, it, it's on the mind, and it's a trend in our culture. Like, I just can say whatever I want, and, and there's no consequence. There's a definite consequence when, when, when we say things and we just kind of just off the cuff just say whatever's on our mind. We begin to eliminate our pool for God's mission. We begin to isolate people that maybe do think a little bit differently than you. And rather than communicating that or having relationship, we'd rather blanket it through our social media forums, through our technology, through different influential ways that we have been given a platform. And we don't steward that really well. We play to that a lot. And that's what our culture is doing. But once again, how is the church called to be different? Because we're people that are called to be the bright light, the good news, that Jesus showed up in a broken world and began to bring hope from the moment that he was born. 
And then it culminated to where we are today. And his church being spread out to continue to be lights, to spread that hope, joy, and love. I don't know about you, but I want others to taste the healing that I felt in my life. I want others, when they hang out with me or experience me or say, man, he's passionate about this, passionate about that. Like, I want others to know, like, God has transformed my life. Like, I'm not the same because of what God has done. God is real. This isn't just games. Once again, this isn't just religious obligation, but this is the fact of the matter that a God who is higher than I am allowed himself, humbled himself to come to die for me, allowed my life to be partnered with a process of restoration, healing, freedom, and hope. And I don't know about you, once I experience that, I want as many people to experience that same freedom, hope, and healing that God humbly offered my life. Once again, I'm a broken mess. We all are broken messes. We all are falling short of the glory of God. But I love seeing the process of renovation that God has for my life as I continue to move forward, as I continue to fumble, I continue to make mistakes. What a hope that brings others that maybe have always felt like to walk through the doors of a church, they need to be perfect. That's not good news. That's, that's religious news. But God pursues us, even in seasons where we never did, and is on mission to deliver the goodness of his news to our lives. I want others to experience that. So this morning as we close, what do I want us to take away? And this is what I want us to take away with this morning as we just read this section of the scripture. I want us to not only be people that the scripture enters our mind and makes us feel warm and fuzzy in our heart. Man, maybe the passion's beginning to rise up in your heart about God's mission. But here's where it needs to transfer. It needs to go to our feet. It needs to go to our feet. And then we need to be people that repeat that. Make disciples, as Jesus called us. And, and this is one of the ways that I think we can do that by walking away this morning. How will you, or how will we, monopolize the goodness of God through, through our proximity for you? Come on, God placed you at your job in this season. We're just getting really practical right now. In the family that you're in for a particular reason, to witness. He's given you the capacity to witness Jesus really well. You might be saying, well, I'm realizing all my you know, family members hate Christianity or hate the church. It's like, okay. Hey, it's never too late. God wants to restore and redeem that. What are little things that you can do and take advantage for the goodness of God, right? Not the judgment of God, but this new covenant that we live under of the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus. How, how, how are we taking advantage of that where the goodness of God oozes out of our life based on where he's placed us in proximity? Maybe your priorities, right? What do your life rhythms look like? Maybe those things need adjustment. Like I said earlier, maybe you're a person, you're realizing, maybe I'm not hiving off Sundays to serve. Or helping out in certain areas of the church. Maybe I'm just not prioritizing the things I know God, maybe on my calendar, needs to. What does that look like practically for your life? What, where are your priorities? What does that look like? Because we have these passionate people that are following God's mission that we see in the early church that prioritize the mission in a way that they became contributors. Not just, man, I love to see what the church is doing. But they're saying, I love to see what that's doing. And actually, I want to jump in and be a part of that. I want to be a part of the difference and be a difference maker. I want to start ministering and serving other people's needs. And then lastly, and your passion. How are you allowing the goodness of God to ooze out of your passion? Meaning this, your story. We've all got a story to tell. Each one of us, our lives look different. And if you know and have relationship with God, God has gotten you through a process up to this point, and people need to hear it. Not in a churchy, like, beat you over the head with a Bible type of way. Not to, like, shove the Bible in your mouth. Tell your story. Your story has power. 
We see so motivational, so many motivational speakers in our day that show up to assemblies or whatever and, and, and motivate people in a way that is even outside of the goodness and the power of God. Take that model and allow the goodness of God, allow that to be point to Jesus. Allow your story. I love when the Bible says, always give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. Are, are we ready? Are we ready when, 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 when we have that opportunity in the proximity that we're at? We have that opportunity with the people who are around us to share and not be churchy or not be Christianese, but simply to share the way that God's transformed, healed, and, and, and just changed the trajectory of your life. It can be so practical because God is a God of transformation and redemption, and he knows that. He knows how humans work, and humans are his mission and the object and the subject of his heart. Amen? So how will we do that? How will we monopolize the goodness of God through our proximity, through our priorities, and through our passion? And I believe when we do those things, we're going to continue to see, come on, the snowball effect of the goodness of God continuing to transform our community. Man, I truly believe this. The future is bright, and the best is yet to come. If we humble ourselves and we allow the focus of God's mission to be our everything. Amen?